Wisp of Lust The dream shows how recollections of one's everyday life can be worked into a structure where one person can be substituted for another, where unacknowledged feelings like envy and guilt can find expression, where ideas can be linked by verbal similarities and where the laws of logic can be suspended. Sigmund Freud, The Interpretation of Dreams Maya had gone to her son's annual school function, much to her indignation. Her grievances were multitudinous, from cumbersome parking facilities to inadequate seating arrangements for all invited guardians, and all these parents who, despite all these disappointments, enthusiastically thronged the function just to get a glimpse of the apple of their eyes performing on the stage. The children were made to slog for hours and hours, for days to weeks, for the practice and rehearsals something which would come down to only three to four minutes of their presence on the stage. Yet the school does it the same way year after year. Parents attend because they love their children. The children will do it by compulsion and didn't have much say regarding these matters. They were being herded in scorching summers or frosting winters in the open-air amphitheater and made to toil for hours. To her understanding, if a free will is being given to the students, almost all would prefer the annual function not to happen. But today, Maya wasn't just one of the parents to see their children perform on the stage. She was a special invitee by the school to attend this function, and therefore was offered a seat on the front row, along with the dignitaries and chief guest, separated from the hold of other parents. Maya's son Manu was in the 11th standard, and after 10th standard, the students were spared from participating in annual function. Manu, part of the theatre club, in fact the star of it, was proficient in stage presentation and anchoring. For this reason, he was chosen to be one of the two anchors for this edition of the annual function. Another being Brinda, the head prefect for the school, incidentally the kind of girl who can make any parent envious and immediately cause adoration and admiration for their child, take a southward plunge in her presence. The function started late as usual by about one hour, and then after a brief interaction from these two young anchors, the chief guest was ushered in. Maya looked sideways to see if anyone of her neighbours acknowledged the fact that he was her son but could find none, and disheartened, she looked ahead. Next, the headmistress strode to the lectern. In this cold December night, dressed in ethnic Indian sari, without covering the elegance of it with a jacket, sitting on an aluminium chair, under the open sky of the amphitheatre, she knew that the headmistress's address would go on for not less than 45 minutes. Same content year after year. Same boastful talks. The same sense of false accomplishment. Same bullshit. Maya wondered if she could show her the previous year's address just to make her realize how tediously monotonous she can get. Why no other parent was thinking her way? She was bewildered. Perhaps they were and ignored this, focusing on those four minutes of their child's skit. Chilly weather perhaps was the reason that hardly five minutes in the program, she somewhat felt the need to go to the washroom, but suppressed her urge. Showing her way out from where she was sitting, packed like Solomon's, it would be quite a task. After 15 minutes, she couldn't hold any longer and got up, ruffling many intently absorbed people and turning many annoying heads. The washroom was at the far end of the amphitheatre. 
Done with relieving herself, she was washing her hands when she looked up at the mirror and found Manav standing behind her. She was startled by his sudden presence in the ladies' washroom. Shouldn't he be on the dais right now? What is he doing here? Why has he come here? How did he know she was here? She was rife with so many questions in her mind. When to her abject horror, Manav drew a knife from his pocket and lunged towards her. With all her swiftness and strength, she stopped his hand midway and prevented the knife from getting under her skin. Terror in her eyes met disgust in his eyes. Manu! She tried to scream, but her terror couldn't allow her to make the sound. She battled to resist his wrestling, to free his arm. She looked all around, hoping someone else by chance might come here and save her. That wasn't the case though. Manav snarled with horridness and she gagged by her panic. Sweat started pouring from her forehead and mixed with tears from her eyes. He didn't relent or let go of her. Why? She wanted to know desperately, before it's too late for her to save herself. But she wouldn't die without knowing and suddenly felt a new surge of strength. Maya was shaking with fear, fear being more profound on being puzzled. Yet she fought back and halted the progress of Manav's hand. She drew in as much air as possible and shouted with all her might. Not a whisper came out, as if she was being strangled by some unseen force. Her eyes widened and throat parched. Mana, with an unrelenting ruthless glare on his face, appeared to gain vantage and was confident to wrestle free his arm and thrust the blade in her bosom. Ironically, the same bosom where he lashed not many years ago to draw his life from. Suddenly, she heard the voice of her husband calling her from outside. Maya became ecstatic and realized she would be saved only if she could scream to draw his attention. He would be equally terrified to see her like this here. She tried to call him back yet could make no voice. The approaching voice of her husband stalled at the door of the washroom, this being a lady's washroom. She felt helpless, with help so near and yet so far. As the husband's voice started receding, she became hopelessly violent. She used all her might to twist Manav's arm, a 16-year-old, Quite some man already and tried to gain control over this, but couldn't. The gag voice and the wrestled hands stayed for some more time. How much, she wasn't aware, when her husband's voice again grew louder and approaching. His voice had a sense of frustration and urgency in it. She turned her face towards the door and once again tried to holler. This time, she was able to make a gagging grunt. It was quite primal, a dog-like savage growl, but very weak. Suddenly, her husband was calling from close to her ears in almost an irritated voice. Maya, Maya. She shook her head and opened her eyes. She might have woken up from her dream, but physical manifestations of her intense dream linger. Her heart was beating fast and her gaze flitting. Emotions of dread and horror were apparent, and her demeanor quite couldn't change so fast and revealed her disposition. Her body was drenched and still shaking from whatever she endured. Had Roshan, her husband, looked at her face, he would have definitely got alarmed. But incidentally, he was looking at his mobile, trying to catch his morning news while calling her. This gave Maya a few seconds to recover and recompose herself. Apart from the sweat, all other remnants of the phantasmagoric dream were gone now. Feeling damp all over made even Maya surprise. Why she was strange? All she did was to look dizzily at him. The horror of the nightmare had vaporized from her memory. It always does. Only a wisp of it remained. That too, very deeply buried in her consciousness, or rather subconsciousness. And it was very difficult to excavate from there. Now, 
She thought she would try to recollect her dream later in the day for analysis and interpretation. But what remained of the dream only after a few seconds of its being over was a vague impression that she had a dream and that too horrible one. Rest all the details would be confabulation if she tried to rebuild it. That blurred and faint wisp that remained from the dream felt like a splinter in the mind for the whole day. That day, she couldn't concentrate on any of her course. Quite abstractedly, she went from one course to another. That dream didn't leave her mind, nor did its structure with details, just like a small food fibre stuck in the gums, which the tongue pry continuously and fights and fails in the end, and sits in some corner of the mouth to breathe. She now sat, after her evening tea in solitude in her room, trying to take her mind off that. She recalled reading Interpretation of Dreams by Sigmund Freud some five years back and still lay on her bookshelf, waiting to be picked up and restarted. She abandoned it then, in the middle when she couldn't comprehend even after forcing herself on the book. It was just too abstruse to comprehend and understand and interpret. She thought of going through it once more. Last month, she was diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia, an utterly painful condition affecting her face. She came to know of it while brushing her teeth, when it triggered electric shock-like jabs of excruciating pain all over the face. She was put on Tegetrol. It took away the bite of the searing pain but dulled her mind. She read about the disease and the drug in detail and perhaps knew more than the doctor about the drug by now. She was more drawn towards the psychic effects of the medicine rather than the physical effects. Of course, the pain had eased a lot after that, but she had started getting a feeling that she was steered towards the psychological effects of the drug. This doubt was too thin and she was uncertain to discuss with her doctor yet. Could this sudden flurry of nightmares be because of the drug? The next morning when she woke up, Roshan was already getting ready for work. She was a late riser as she loved to do some painting before sleep and so generally slept late. She was fond of painting and save for a few early years after marriage when Mana was still a small boy, she had been doing her painting uninterrupted. Since her early childhood, she tried painted anything and everything. She was instinctually inclined. During a recent party at her home, when she was showcasing her paintings to the guest, a friend of hers asked about her subject of interest, and she replied that she didn't have to have such preferences while painting. She loved to paint across the genres, across mediums, anything which would muse her. And so right it was, because she had flitted from portrait to landscape to still life. She had made a portrait of Manav last year, which many a guest had casually remarked as good as a real-life photograph. She was good indeed and had done two of her exhibitions. Not being a popular name though, she couldn't sell much, and this was the way she liked it, as she didn't want to part with any of her creations, the fact that she realized as late as the opening day of the exhibition. She just wished none of her paintings being picked up for buying. While painting that evening, accompanied by her friend Anamika, talking loquaciously alongside, she was furiously stroking the canvas with her brush. Maya was painting a still, with few assorted flowers in a bunch kept on a table, in the line of her eyes. She had deliberately picked flowers of as many colors possible from a nearby flower shop. She wanted to use her full palette today, to make something very colorful, a gift for her brother, on his wedding anniversary. 
Maya was talking to Anamika as well as painting simultaneously. Her method encompassed first to paint the outline of the flower and later do the detailing, to be followed by contrast shading. And she was doing it with all her intent and precision. She was looking forward to creating a masterpiece in its sense, something which his brother, whom she loved most in this world, would feel delighted to receive as a gift. All the same, she was being careful too, as she had this unfortunate habit of spilling colors on her canvas while painting. Two of her last five paintings had found their way to trash bindas. She was talking and singing in between while she painted. Somehow she realized the colors not as saturated as they ought to be. They looked quite faded. She checked her color tubes and the palette and found everything was fine and up to mark. This was her third sitting for this painting and incidentally, she had a friend today with her. What does a painter or a story writer or a music composer want? Immediately after completing his or her piece of art, an admirer to praise and goad the art, to get that final touch in the sense of accomplishment. As soon as she completed the painting, she looked up at Anamika and nodded gently. Anamika, who had been waiting eagerly for this moment to become the first one to lay her eyes upon this masterpiece, Anamika knew something special is being created, and she knew the still object which was being painted was sitting there watching Maya paint so intently caused her desire to see the painting, flare up in the last hour. With all her excitement, she rose from her chair abruptly and went to put her cup of coffee on the table. In the process, she got her feet entangled in her sari, lost her balance and fell forward on the easel. The cup's leftover contents were all over the canvas, causing it to become off-white stained, as if no color was there in the first place. Maya's heart leapt into her mouth. She saw this with horror, and that moment of horror was followed by her scream. Her three days of hard work was smeared coffee brown in one moment. With blazing eyes, she stared at Anamika. The latter couldn't meet her eyes and stood motionless as if turned to stone. Anamika's heart was beating faster and her eyes tight shut, unable to open to see Maya's glary eyes. Maya's eyeballs were roving though because of her internal agitation. She too was frozen. Anamika, seeing her state, held her by arm and shook her to bring her back from her utter shock. Maya opened her eyes and found Manav shaking her hand, trying to wake her up and to tell her he was leaving for his football match and would be late. I would be late. He left as soon as he saw her open her eyes, his words stretching to the door as he left. She lay there dazed, shaken, for some time, looking around the room and its walls and the swirling fan overhead. Only when she was quite sure she had come back to the prison did she draw a deep sigh and alighted the bed. These afternoon naps, she thought, are the worst kinds. These always end up having a weird dream. She would avoid them or perhaps take a power nap with an alarm. She made in mental notes for herself. With a cup of tea in her hand and finding her sitting across the bay window, she tried to recollect her last dream. With difficulty though, this time she was able to recall a lot more than she thought she would. She was pursued by her dream or rather the obscure meaning of it. All evening, until she reproached herself when during dinner, her husband asked her if there was a matter. She was lost and preoccupied in her sputter to interpret the dream. That night, she completed her painting, without Anamika around her, of course, to admire at that hour. After completing, she pondered over her dream for a while and went to bed. 
The next morning, after having done her morning calls and setting Manav and Roshan for their school and office respectively, she sat with a cup of tea in the bay window of her bedroom. She loved this spot. It had an uninterpreted view of the road and its affairs. She loved watching people, observing them, and analyzing their behavior and interpreting them. This was a welcome distraction from her ever-humming mind. Today, her mind was too preoccupied with the task of interpreting her last evening's dream, which surprisingly she remembered so far. Though it was quite vivid yesterday evening, what remained now were trifling remnants of it. She looked at the flower bed on her lawn and saw the flowers. The visual stirred a lot in her mind, and focusing so could extricate a lot of details from yesterday's dreams. She surprised herself with the fact that the mere looking at the colors of flowers brought back so much of the dream to her. Set herself to analyze and interpret her dream. All she could reach after half an hour of probing and reflecting was that perhaps it was her insecurity about the painting which caused this dream. Half convinced and fully exhausted mentally, she abandoned her endeavor and started doing what she likes doing most while sitting at the window, watching people through window. She saw a scooter stop by her gate and a man approaching her door. He was from the Equagar, as she saw from logo on his shirt. She remembered she had booked a complaint about her RO machine, which wasn't working properly for the last few days. He appeared to be a man of 45, fair, handsome, well-built, and looked very well-dressed for a mechanic. Soon after, she heard a doorbell and opened the door to find him standing there with all his smiling pleasantness to his esteemed client, which was part of his training. She let him in after checking his eye guard and escorted him to the kitchen. It was a hot summer day and he was sweating, which was revealed by the shapes of sweat on his shirt. This man was different from many others in many ways. He was polite, well-dressed and well-behaved. Rare traits amongst technicians. He was done with his repair work in 30 minutes and asked for a permission to leave. She offered him a cup of tea, which he accepted after initial reluctance. She had enjoyed his presence and with a big thanking smile after the tea, she signed the form and saw him off. Maya, to her pleasant surprise, didn't quite remember having nightmares for the next few nights. One morning, while she was making herself tea, when her body was there in the kitchen and her eyes were on the pot of frothing tea in the kettle, yet her mind was racing elsewhere and had a long time ago left the kitchen for her dreams. She was thinking about a dream a few days back in which she was being attacked by her son. Surprisingly, she was able to make herself recollect quite a lot from that dream today. Why would a son try to kill a mother when their relationship was perfectly balanced and cordial? Gazing at the froth with glazed eyes over the boiling tea, she perhaps went into a state of lapsed consciousness, akin to a lucid interval, and started thinking about the dream. Maybe her son represented someone else. Maybe killing was a metaphor for her terror, her anxiety, which manifested this dream. Too many, maybe. And she got entangled in her own thoughts and slipped from her sanity. Still, she didn't surrender. She never stopped until she had created the desired effect in her painting which she wanted to convey the observer. Such was her resolute. She tried again, but this time thinking literally. Maybe the knife wasn't real. Maybe it was a message which his son wanted to get through her. What could it be? She thought and she thought hard and then failed again. Then when she stopped torturing herself, an idea flashed in her mind. She had been trying to send her son for a boarding school, which he had been resisting vehemently. They both had reasons. She wanted to see him off to the boarding school to become more self-independent and he for not agreeing upon to leave the insular environment of the home. 
Maybe this dagger was this message which her subconscious mind read and manifested in her dream. The point which her son was not quite capable of conveying to her is now being presented in her dream at the point of a knife. She felt a chill in her spine and resolved there and then to drop the idea of boarding school for easing him and herself too. She's sure would discuss this with her husband later in the day, she thought. But what reason would she tell him about her U-turn? Share her dream. Will he understand? Maya didn't know the answers. And with more bewilderment, then when she entered the kitchen, she left with a cup of tea in her hand. That day, her mind was quite hackneyed already. When she went to sleep, and she saw a dream, a bizarre one, one of its own kind. In the morning, she got up quite right with the dream stuff and went to take a bath as the first thing as it was quite hot and she was already sweating as early as 7 in the morning. AC stopped working sometime at midnight. She went inside the bathroom and after taking off all her clothes, she turned the shower on and let the cool water flow over her parched skin. It was a wonderful sensation. Cool water running down her parched skin was quite invigorating. Suddenly, she felt as if someone was sneaking from behind the door of the bathroom. In the privacy of her bedroom, she generally left the door of the bedroom azar, and so did her husband. Roshan was sneaking from behind the door, trying to see her bathing naked. She felt this odd and quite repulsing, the way he was sneaking. As a husband, he could have her any time he wants, but why peep like this? As soon as she turned to face him, he retracted behind the door. Confused and conveyed with soapy foam, she turned the shower on again and let the foam melt down her body. Again she saw from the corner of her eyes him watching her. This time she ignored the ignominy of stepping out of the shower in just a towel wrapped around her privates and swung the door in a jerk to face her husband. He was standing there with a stern face, eyes blazing red, looking at her with wide open and tightly pursed mouth. His face had contempt written all over and a fear-staring look. She got terrified looking at him. She just couldn't stand his looks and closed her eyes in disgust. After a moment of silence, which seemed eternally long to her, he whispered, Come, let's take a shower together. Today is Sunday. She opened her eyes again and saw his face as close to hers as if almost kissing, half reclining on her, and his hand under her neck, bringing her face close to his. To her utter surprise, she was on a bed alongside Roshan. All she could do was to look terrified with her eyes wide open. He misread her wide eyes as romantic looks and embraced her and together rolled over on the bed. This gave her a couple of seconds to recompose herself, her face behind his shoulders. Of course, they went to the bathroom together, but she was not with him. Her body was all that he sought in her dream and her body was all he got. Her mind was trying to convalesce from the vehemently lurid dream, which now was on the verge to vaporize. She wanted to recall as much as possible from her dream before she left the bathroom, as she feared that change in the place might cause the already wispy dream to disappear and get out of her reach. Sundays generally were the most hectic days for her, as the house was quite crowded. She didn't get much spare time to sit alone and reflect upon her dream that day. It was now becoming an irresistible pastime for her to decipher her dreams and seek answers amongst that for the question which she wasn't aware until the answers showed up. Like the dream of school annual function, the next day at her bay window with a cup of tea in her hand, she got the first opportunity to think about her latest dreams. After a certain effort, the elements of the dream which appeared to her as lost came back to her with few missing details. She knew at the outset that the dream represented infidelity. By whom? 
As far as she could remember, they both had been as faithful as far as she could have thought. Never had Roshan presented with any hint for suspicion. Never had she got an opportunity to suspect. Not only that he was a regular nine-to-five guy, she had complete trust in him. Can there be anything which she in might have failed to notice, but her subconscious mind might have picked earlier, which might have manifested now as a dream? Still, she could recall nothing. After freeing her mind hard for some time to recall any clue or trace suggestive of Roshan cheating on her and not getting one, she got weary. A few minutes later, she started thinking afresh, but this time in different lines. What if she had been the one to commit infidelity? She couldn't remember any such incidents after marriage. She had an affair at her college, but it was just a brief one, nothing serious. That can't be taken as infidelity, she justified herself. He had been good to her, loved her a lot, and had been too good in bed for her to think of someone else. Then what? She had reached an impasse, again a break in thinking line and again a fresh start. What if there was an obscure or possibility not-so-evident affair, disagreeable for her to expose herself and thus she was sparing herself for thinking that? She started rerun of her life in reverse starting from the present. She knew it would be a long rerun and arduous task, but she was curious and had all the time in the world. Moreover, this was an important issue that needed to be dealt with. If she hoped not to be bothered by the splinter for the rest of the day or perhaps rest of her life. She was scanning her life backward when her attention stopped abruptly at an incident a few days back when a house was visited by the mechanic from the Equagard. He was handsome, suave and differential. She reruns that part a few times in her mind and all she could get was an acquittal for self. She didn't lust or flirt it. She very well remembered. Then her attention drew to the moment when he was leaving. He turned to go and she, for a flimsiest of moment, looked at his posterior, a well-shaped one, and that thought passed sooner than it came to her. That one moment of infidel glance, she closed her eyes once more and pondered at the implication of that one immortal moment.